All right, so today we're going to continue my series called Heed the Warning. And this is Father's Day. This is a special, special day of the year where we get to honor fathers and uh, honor their sacrifices as they raise their families, honor their uh, commitment to the Lord in raising their families and loving their wives. So today, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Jude, which is the second last book in the Bible, second to last book in the Bible, in verse 11. And then we're also going to be looking at Genesis quite a bit, too, throughout this sermon. So this sermon series has been a series about the book of Jude. Jude, who was the earthly half-brother of Jesus, um, his, earth, her, his biological father was Joseph, biological mother was Mary. He was a younger brother to the Lord Jesus. And he is writing here warning Christians, warning them about the things that could come against them in the Christian life, false teachers, false doctrines, um, the teaching of lies that we see so often in Christian circles. Here at Pole Creek, you know, if you're new with us, thank you so much for being here today, by the way. You are always welcome at Pole Creek, and we're just so thankful to have you today. But we stand on the Word of God. Um, our, what our first core value is Scripture, and Scripture is our foundation. And we are a church that is biblically based. If the Bible says it, we believe it. If the Bible doesn't say it or the Bible speaks against it, we're against it. We are biblically-based people. We believe in the absolute objective truth of Scripture. Uh, the Bible, we believe, is the full revelation of God to mankind, um, that God has now closed this revelation, and we have it in these 66 books known as the Holy Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So in the book of Jude, we're teach, taught about these false teachers, these people who were going against the Word of God to try to teach lies, to try to give place for people to live sinful lifestyles, to say that God's grace is so big and so great that you can sin and it's okay. He'll just forgive you and everything will be fine. We don't believe that. The Bible teaches us faith without works is dead. In other words, if you say you're a Christian, but you've never been changed uh, by the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches all those that are in Christ are new creations the old has passed away and the new has come. If there's never been a change in your life, the Bible teaches that you've never been saved. The Bible doesn't teach salvation as just a magical prayer that we pray. And that's something that we tried to teach the children in VBS this past week, is that salvation is when you trust in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins based upon his death, burial, and resurrection. When you lean into his sacrifice and you trust in his sacrifice, the Bible teaches us that when you do that, you become a new creation. The Holy Spirit moves on the inside. The Bible teaches that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit literally indwells the bodies of believers. And that's how we can be what God has called us to be. It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we look into this and as we understand what Jude is saying, today I want to give a message to fathers. And the title of my sermon is A Fork in the Road. A Fork in the Road. So when you found your place in Jude 11, I'd like to ask you to stand to your feet here at Pole Creek. We honor God's word by standing also, you're going to get some good aerobics while here at Pole Creek, as you've already seen. You've got to stand a lot, sit a lot, and stand back up a lot, right? Amen. So beginning in verse 11, the Bible says this in the book of Jude, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. Today we're going to deal with the way of Cain. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word as it is our foundation. It is the objective truth, objective morality. Lord, it is what we base our lives upon is your word, the revealed word, the word that you inspired men of old to write. Lord, we believe in its accuracy, but not only because we just have blind faith, but Lord, because there are thousands and thousands of manuscripts that still exist today, all of which agree 98% of the time. There is no other ancient book with that kind of evidence of its accuracy and its authenticity than the Holy Bible. And Lord, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for your goodness and your grace. We are thankful for our children whom you have created in your image. Lord, we are thankful for our fathers, Lord, whom you have entrusted this great responsibility to raise families and to be the spiritual leader of their homes. Today, God, we dedicate this service to you. Holy Spirit, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, church. So as we think about Father's Day, we can't help but think about the challenges that many of our fathers face. I mean, let's be honest. There are some men who are not able to be fathers for one reason or another who would love to be fathers. There are some men who are raising their children on their own. There are some who have children that are rebelling or wayward or have left home and turned their backs on God. Not to mention the daily struggles that fathers and men face just in day-to-day life. Many men feel the burden of financial stresses. Many men feel the burdens of trying to be everything that their family expects them to be. There is a lot of pressure on our fathers and on our men today. Not to mention that many men have to walk on eggshells because our society has vilified masculinity. They have said that strong men are somehow wrong. It is wrong to be a strong man. It is wrong to be a strong leader in this society. And many men, for that reason, have begun to cower down. They have begun to back off the leadership scene for the sake of political correctness and for the sake of societal desires and all these other things. My friends, that is not biblical manhood. Biblical manhood teaches of strong men with backbones. Men who are compassionate and loving, but men who are willing to stand in the gap for those they love. Men who are willing to speak out against sin. Men who are willing to speak out against wrongdoing. Men who are willing to speak out when sinful lifestyles are taking over our communities. Those are the kind of men that God has called us to be. You know, many times I think of men like King David. Boy, I'm sure glad King David had a backbone. Even at the ripe age of, some people think, 13, all up to 16 years old, he was willing to take that sling and stand face-to-face with a nine-foot giant. And you know what? God gave him the power to defeat that giant. Aren't you glad that little David had a backbone? Hey, you know what? There are many men in the Bible, our Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest among them all, was willing to take his own cross, carried up Calvary's hill, and be nailed to a cross for you and for me. Aren't you glad that our Lord Jesus had a backbone. Aren't you glad that our Lord Jesus was a strong man? Hey, today, you know what in society we're missing is strong men. We need some strong men to come back on the scene. We need some men who love their families and their children enough to stand in the gap, who love their wives and their children enough to say enough is enough. We're not going to allow this junk in our homes anymore. We're not going to allow this to take over our families' lives. We're not going to allow our children to be exposed to this wickedness anymore. It means men have to stand up and men have to have a backbone. I title my sermon today, A Fork in the Road, because we all face choices in life. As fathers, every choice we make, and and hear me out, every choice we make 
affects more than just us. Our choices affect our wives and our children. It makes me think of whitewater rafting. Uh, I'm sure many of you have been whitewater rafting. Uh, those of you who have been down the Green River uh, tubing or maybe the Nantahala rafting know that these rivers fork in certain areas. As you're going down the river, you're going to come to a fork in the river. And sometimes when you're coming up to that fork, you can see it a ways off, and you can see a, a cluster of people maybe going this way and no one going that way. Well, there's normally a reason for that. Normally, you want to go where everyone else is going. But every once in a while, you're going to get in a little current or some, or, or some uh, smart elk that you're rafting with is going to push you into the other one, and you're going to have a rough time. And here's why. Normally, nobody goes down that other fork because there's rocks every five feet that you're going to have to scoot across. There's low-hanging branches that are going to be smacking you in the mouth as you're trying to go down that fork. There's a lot of reasons why you probably don't want to go that way. Well, you know what? Life is very similar. And fathers, the choices that we make are also very similar because all of our choices have consequences. In other words, when you make a decision and you choose to go this way or that way, there will be consequences for which choice you make, for which fork you decide to take. Today, we're going to look at a few examples of some men who made some choices. And I hope that this will help our fathers and others make, take the right paths as we walk through life. So today, the first thing that I want us to look at is the way of Cain, as it is termed in Jude verse 11. As Jude 11 says, Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. Now, if you will, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to see exactly what Jude was talking about when he spoke of the way of Cain. Genesis chapter 4. So we're going to go from the second to last book of the Bible to the first book of the Bible, and we're going to go to chapter 4. See, the interesting thing about Jude is he's writing this letter in Scripture is he's going back to these ancient examples. He's going back to these men and these groups of people who messed up who rebelled against God, who believed a lie, and they were judged for that. They, they saw their own demise because they chose the wrong path. They took the wrong way when they came to the fork in the road. So beginning in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says this, The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Now listen here, verse 5, But he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious, and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Last verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. Have you ever been telling someone maybe about something that happened to you and they always seem to turn the story back on themselves? Just say, mm-hmm, if you have. Yeah, we've all been there, right? Maybe you reached a new sales record at work. Maybe you aced an exam. Or one of your children did something that was really awesome. 
And as you're telling the story, that someone turns the conversation immediately on what they've done that is always better or on something that their child has done much better than your child. It's a complex that people have, a mental complex of always making things about themselves. These people are self-centric, and what that means is they are the center of their own universe. Everything that happens in the universe, they relate back to themselves, and somehow it means that you know, they are the center of everyone's attention, that somehow everything that happens in their life is more important than anything that happens in everyone else's lives. See, God has not called us to be self-centric people. He has called us to be God-centric. He has, taught, he has called us to, for Him to be the center of our universe, for Him to be the center of all of our desires, for Him to be the object of our adoration and our worship and our love. But see, here Cain made himself the center of his own adoration. You may say, well, Ben, how do you get that from the Scripture? How do you see that when all Cain was doing was bringing the crops that he had grown and was giving them to the Lord as an offering? Well, if you look closely at the kind of offering that Cain gave, you realize that his offering was actually a denial, that he was even a sinner. Now, what happened here was this was, would have been a burnt offering. Now, the burnt offering is the oldest offering in Scripture. All right, And what that is, is that is an Old Testament act of love toward God. In other words, the burnt offering was meant to reconcile a holy God in fellowship with a sinful man. It was an act of man saying, I know that I have fallen short, God. I know that I am sinful and that I offend you, God. Here is an offering. I'm going to lay it on the fire and I'm going to allow that sweet aroma to rise to heaven as a gift to you to ask you to please restore our fellowship. In other words, my sin has separated me from you, God. My sin is causing this great barrier between me and you. See, God is holy. The Bible teaches that before he is anything else, he is holy. That means he is sinlessly perfect. That means that God is so perfect that sin and evil can't even conceive in his mind because of how holy and perfect he truly is. So as they were offering these burnt offerings, it was a gesture to God to say, God, I realize my fallen state. I realize my sinfulness. God, will you restore fellowship unto me? The first burnt offering is mentioned concerning Noah after the flood. Now, even though this took place before the flood, many scholars would say also what Abel and Cain were doing was also a burnt offering. It says here in verse 5, um, I'm sorry, verse 4, it says, And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock, and their fat portions. You may say, well, why is he talking about fat portions? Well, the fat of the animal in the Old Testament sacrifices was very, very important in that that was where the aroma from the sacrifice came from. So we see here, based upon the, this evidence in chapter 4, that this was some kind of a burnt offering. Now, as Cain brought the crops the fruit of the harvest that he had planted and strived to grow to God, God said, no, I don't want that offering. I don't want that sacrifice. It says in verse 3, In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. Verse 5, But he did not have regard. Or in other words, he did not accept Cain and his offering. And this made Cain furious. So when we understand the purpose of the burnt offering, we understand the Bible teaches us very clearly that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. 
In other words, God's wrath against sin is so hot and so furious that there must be blood shed in order for his wrath to be quenched. Now you might say, Ben, that is a terrible God, a God that I would not ever want to be a part of or worship. Well, my friends, he's holy. And when you look at God in terms of human understanding, you're never going to fully understand his true holiness. Because we live in a bubble of sin. We live in a bubble of time. Even our own minds have been poisoned by the curse of sin. You may say, Ben, I've been saved. You still contend with a sinful nature. You still do not see clearly. The Bible says it is dimly that we see until we see God face to face, and then we will see completely. Even now we see dimly, and we can't even begin to fathom the holiness of God and his true perfection. But the Bible teaches us that our sin is an offense to a holy God. And God's holy reaction to sin is judgment. Amen? So when we see here that Cain is trying to give of the fruit of the land, he is basically saying to God, God, there is nothing separating us. I don't need to shed the blood of an animal in order for us to be okay because there's nothing wrong here. He was in denial of his sin. He was in denial of what the way that he was living to God. He disobeyed God. In verse 6 it says this, listen here. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? Because Cain was angry that God would not accept the produce that he brought as an offering. Why are you angry, Cain? And why do you look despondent? Verse 7, and this is for all of us. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Here Cain was saying, you know what, God? I'm not going to do it your way. I am so proud of the work of my hands and these crops that I have grown with my, the sweat of my brow. I'm going to bring them to you, and you're going to accept them whether you like it or not, God. You're going to take it, and you're going to like it. Guess what? God doesn't work that way. Hey, you know what? He is the creator. He exists outside of space and time. God is not reliant upon his creation for his life. God is still God whether you exist or not. God is still God whether you are saved or not. God is still God no matter what. He exists outside of all that. He is the only one qualified to determine morality. That's why in this day and age, as we have groups of people who are determining their own truth, they are redefining what a family is. They are saying, you know, no, family is not a man and a woman necessarily. It can be two men or it can be two women. Or, you know what, today, if you feel like you're a woman but you're a biological male, you can be a woman today. They are defining and creating their own truth and their own morality, and they are saying, God, you don't know what you're talking about. God, yeah, I understand that the Bible says that you created them male and female, that you created them in your image, and for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I understand you say that, but I say this, and I'm going to go my way. With disregard and complete uh, carelessness as the fact that God is the great judge and that God gets to determine your destiny. God gets to determine where we spend eternity. Did you know that? God is in control. And here Cain is saying, you know what, God? Forget you. You're going to take my crops. And God even gives him a second chance. Everywhere in the Bible you see God's compassion over and over and over. And here he says, Cain, why are you furious? If you'll just do what is right, you'll be accepted. 
If you'll just do what I've commanded you to do, you'll be accepted. And Cain refused. Cain was angry. And Cain allowed sin to have its way. In verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. You say, Ben, how in the world did it go from rebellion against God, not giving the right sacrifice, to murder? How did it it grow from just a, a jealousy or bitterness in your heart to the point where someone is willing to kill their own brother? My friends, sin always grows. You may say, you know what, it's just little. It's a little sin. I'm going to keep it hidden. Nobody has to know about it. And it's going to stay just fine right where it is in my heart. Did you know the Bible says that that is impossible? Sin will always get bigger. It's either going to get smaller or it's going to get bigger, but it never stays the same. And you know what God told Cain? He said, Cain, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. And guess what? Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. In other words, friends, as you go throughout this life, Satan, your sinful nature, all of those are going to come against you to try to get you to sin, to try to get you to fall into the lustful desires of your heart, to try to get you to rebel against God. And what the Lord is saying is, yes, sin is crouching at the door. Sin is waiting to strike, but you must rule over it. Fathers, today, it's the fork in the road. It's when that sin is presented to you. It's when that that young lady at work starts to wink at you or starts to call you honey. It's when the computer is calling for you to look at things that you shouldn't be looking at. It's when you decide to turn your affection from your wife to another woman. It's when you choose to go golfing instead of spending time with your children. It's when you choose to give your love to your work and your career instead of your family. It's when the neglect of the ones that God has trusted in, entrusted you begins to grow. My friends, sin is crouching at the door, and if you take that wrong fork, you're going to continue to feed the sin until it consumes you, until it has its way in your life, And it not only destroys you, but it destroys the ones you love the most. Isn't it interesting how sin never hurts those that you don't really care about? But it's always those you love the most that your sin destroys. Hey, the same warning that God gave Cain stands for each and every one of us. Hey, if you'll just do what's right, you'll be accepted. If you'll just do what's right, God will give you strength. If you'll just do what's right, your family won't be destroyed. If you'll just choose the right path, if you'll go down the right fork. And you say, Ben, I'm not, I don't have this big proverbial fork that I'm standing at right now. It's not like I'm having to make a decision right now. Listen, every decision you make is a fork in the road. Every single decision, every time you pick up your phone and you look at it, every time you spend money on one thing or another, every time you choose to spend your time here instead of there, every choice has a consequence. You say, Ben, you're asking too much of me. I can't be perfect. No, you can't be perfect. I can't be perfect either. That's why Jesus died for us. But one thing is true. You can make the right choice. No one's forcing you to make the wrong choice. No one's forcing you to go the wrong way. No one's forcing you to take the way of Cain. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 12, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. 
James 1.15 says this, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Man, we saw that so plainly in the life of Cain. God forbid that it ever happens to any of us. God forbid that we feed our sin and we rebel against God and we choose to go our way instead of God's way to the point that it brings forth that kind of devastation in a family. Can you imagine what Adam and Eve felt? Because now they're seeing the full results of what it meant to take of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now they're starting to see the effects of sin entering into the human race. And in Genesis 3.15, the Bible teaches us it's the first prophecy of the coming Messiah that would come and crush the head of the serpent and finally deliver the final blow to Satan. And Cain, I'm sure being the firstborn, Eve thought, here he is. He's the one that's going to bring the final blow to Satan. He is my seed that will crush the head of the serpent. And then when Adam and Eve found out that Cain killed his brother, could you imagine the devastation, the absolute fallout of sin, the effects of sin. Hey, did you hear what the Bible said? When sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. The Bible teaches us for the wages of sin is death. We die because sin has entered this world. You may say, Ben, that's bad news. It is, but I've got some good news. And that's my second point. We just talked about the way of Cain, but now we're going to talk about the way of Abel and Seth. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The way of Abel and Seth. And we're going to begin there in the same chapter, Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 4, which we've already read once, but I think it's important to read it again. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. The Lord accepted and was pleased with the offering of Abel. Abel was a righteous man in all his ways. And you may say, well, Ben, maybe I just can't be as good as Abel. Maybe I can't just generate enough goodness and morality in my life to be as good as Abel. You might say, I'm not maybe as smart as Abel. I'm not stronger. I'm not more moral. And I didn't even have a better ability than Abel. But you know what? That's not why Abel was righteous. It wasn't because he was a strong man. Did you know that the name Abel actually means frailty? In other words, Abel was a, a, he watched sheep, okay? Now, I'm not saying he was a weak man, but I am saying that he was not out there digging the soil and, and toiling with the ground and planting crops and harvesting those crops. He was someone who watched the sheep, took care of the sheep. His name actually means frailty, so we know that it wasn't because Abel was a better man, wasn't because he was a stronger man, but it was because Abel had faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 says this, and I want you to remember this. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. You know what the difference between Cain and Abel were? Their offering. They had the same parents. They had the same upbringing. They were from the same town. They had all the same stuff. It wasn't like one was forsaken and the other wasn't. Both loved by their mom and dad. As a matter of fact, being the firstborn in that ancient Hebrew culture probably meant that Cain was probably favored in a lot of ways. 
So maybe Cain even had a little bit more given to him. But you know what? That didn't matter. It was the end of the day. Abel stood at the fork in the road. He had a revelation from God, understanding what God expected and what God expected as an offering. And Cain said, Lord, I'm going to take this fork in the road. I'm going to obey, and I'm going to give you a lamb. I'm going to give you a sacrifice. Cain stood at the same fork. Cain had the same choice. He had the same option. And when he stood at that fork in the road, he said, No, God, I'll go my way, and I'll give you the work of my hands. See, the issue with Cain was is he thought he was good enough. The issue with Cain was is he thought, I'm strong enough. And, and I, I've done such great work with, with crops and harvesting and agriculture. There's no way God won't accept the beauty of what I've built with my own hands. You got Abel over here saying, you know what? I'm weak. I'm sinful. Lord, I'm just going to give you what you asked for. And I'm going to give you the lamb. You know what the Bible says? God accepted the offering of Abel, and he rejected the offering of Cain. But you know what? Someone can only have faith if they've heard the word of God. Now, the Bible doesn't speak of a time when God spoke to Cain and Abel or spoke to Adam and Eve about what he expected when it came to a sacrifice. But the Bible does teach that you can't have faith unless you hear the word of God. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says this, So faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes to the message about Christ. In other words, you can't have faith unless you first heard the word of God. In the same way, someone can't trust Jesus as their Savior unless they first heard the gospel. No one dreams about the gospel and gets saved. There must be another person who comes and communicates that word with you. In the same way, God would have had to have come to Abel and Cain and said, This is what I expect from you. That's how Abel had faith. You know what faith is? Just trusting in what God says. God, you said that your son is Jesus and that you sent him to die for me on the cross and rise from the dead. I believe it. That's faith, by the way. Faith is not blind. And, and, and I, I hate when people say, oh, you got to have blind faith to be a Christian. Listen, there's no religion in the history of mankind that has more factual, geographical, historical, documented, archaeological evidence than Christianity. Hey, you can search out the world over and over and you'll never be able to disprove the resurrection. As a matter of fact, you'll find evidence that said the tomb was empty. You'll find evidence that says Jesus got out of the grave. You'll never find any evidence that says the body was still there, by the way. And when you look at evidence, you know what? you got to take it for what it is. You may say, I don't want to believe in Jesus. Well, that's your problem. But if you look at the evidence, the evidence shows that Jesus Christ indeed lived on this earth. Jesus Christ indeed died on a cross, and Jesus Christ indeed rose from the dead, and the tomb is empty to prove that he indeed rose from the dead. You might say, no, they hid the body somewhere, Ben. My friends, show me where it's at. Hey, you might find the bones of Buddha. You might find the bones of Muhammad. You might find the bones of every other great religious leader that has ever lived, but the bones that you won't ever find are the bones of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because guess what? When he rose from the dead, he bodily rose from the dead, which means not just his spirit got out of the grave, but his whole body got up. And it says that after he made himself known to the disciples, after his resurrection, they touched him, they could feel his physical body, and he sat down and he ate fish with them. When's the last time you've seen a ghost eat fish? 
He had a body, praise God. And guess what? Today, up in glory, as he's sitting at the right hand of God, he's still got that glorified body. And I believe one day when we go to heaven and we see Jesus face to face, those of us who know Jesus, he's still going to have the scars from those nails in his hands and in his feet. He's still going to have the scars in his side from where they pierced him with the sword because he has the same glorified body up there today that he did when he rose from the dead. And that tomb was empty. Hey, you know what? There's a story there in Scripture about Adam and Eve. And after they sinned, it says that God came into the garden and he killed an animal. See, Adam and Eve, what they did was they got a bunch of fig leaves together. And they started sewing these fig leaves together and making themselves clothes because the Bible teaches that after they sinned, they were ashamed of their nakedness. In other words, their innocence had been ripped from them because of the entrance of sin into the human race. And their response was to cover themselves, right? That was Adam and Eve's response. A lot of times, by the way, that's the initial natural human response when someone sins. We've got to cover it up. We've got to hide it. We've got to find out a way for us to make this right. See, that's what Cain was doing, by the way. Cain was saying, you know what? Yeah, Maybe I am a sinner, but, but this, these, this fruit is so beautiful. God's going to accept it. Hey, you know what? I'm not, I just can't shed blood. I, I don't want to shed blood for my... I'm going to give this fruit. Hey, you know what? Many times in life, dads, fathers, everyone else here today, maybe that's what you've been trying to do. Maybe you've said, you know, Ben, I'm a member of a church. Uh, I grew up, and maybe your dad or your grandpa was a preacher. Maybe you've always been a good person. Um, maybe you've never done any big sins or big crimes. And you say, you know what? I think when I stand before God, God's going to say, hey, that's good enough. You know, it's kind of like Cain standing before the gates of heaven with his, his fruit. Isn't this good enough, God? God looks at it and he says, no. Your sins have never been cleansed. The, the blood has never been applied to your soul. As we think about that lamb that Abel offered and that God accepted, as we think about the animal that God killed in the garden to clothe Adam and Eve, as the Bible teaches us. Hey, you know what today? Things haven't changed. We still need shed blood. Our sins cry, are crying out to God. They're an offense to God. But you know what? God sent the once and for all sacrifice to where we don't have to sacrifice lambs and goats anymore. We don't have to sacrifice livestock he sent the once and for all sacrifice named Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross, you know what he said when it was done? It is finished. You know what that meant? I paid the price. Paid in full. Hey, you know what? If you'll just take the way of Abel, and if you'll just take the way of Seth today, hey, and trust me, trust my death on the cross, you can be saved. I'll accept you. If you'll trust my sacrifice. And dads, listen, when you raise your kids in that mentality, in that understanding, you see here the line of Seth is then born. Abel is killed. Abel is murdered by Cain. And you think, oh no, that godly line has been crushed by Satan. But God gives another child that will give a godly line of men. In verse 25 of Genesis 4, Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, for she said, God has given me another offspring in place of Abel since Cain killed him. A son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Today, father, dad, man, you may be saying, Benton, I can't be the man that God's called me to be. I disagree with that. 
If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior and he's made you a new person, you can be the dad that God's called you to be. Not on your own power, as Abel very well knew, but under God's power. And Seth here, we know that Seth raised his children in the teaching of the Lord. Because it says that after Seth began to have children, that's when men begin to call on the name of the Lord. So two things here this morning, dads, that I want you to think about. Number one, have you been changed? Have you ever been born again? Have you ever accepted the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus as a payment for your sins? See, the Bible teaches us that Jesus took our place on the cross. It wasn't that Jesus magically said, all right, you're forgiven. I'm going to write it down. You're good. No, Jesus literally bodily took your place and my place on the cross. He took my punishment and your punishment on the cross. God poured out his wrath upon Jesus in your place. And the Bible says all you have to do to get Jesus' righteousness is say, God, I believe you. I believe that you sent your son. I believe that he died and rose again. I know that I'm a sinner. Will you save me? The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And number two, men, I want to leave you with this, and then we'll close. Are you raising your children like Seth? You may say, Ben, there's never been any Christians in my, in my ancestry. You know, I'm kind of new as a Christian in my family. Hey, you know what? You start a new legacy today. That with you, your children will begin to call upon the name of the Lord. You say, Ben, how can I influence my children to call upon the name of the Lord? Remember what we read in Deuteronomy 6 when Bryson and Kendra and Cadence and Cain were standing up here? Hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart. The Lord our God is one. And you are to teach your children when you wake up in the morning, when you're going by the way, when you're sitting at the dinner table, and when you're putting them to bed. And if you pour the truth into their hearts, the Bible teaches us that the Bible, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will pierce you to the very dividing ascender of soul and spirit. In other words, the Bible will pierce your heart to a place where it will change your life. It's the living Word of God. Let's pray.